merciful God of all creation, may we be salt and light for the world which you love and which you have redeemed through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I suppose many families try to have their routines and rituals. Our family is no different, practicing something of a bedtime rite, whereby each of our children gets little mom and dad time right before the great parental escape downstairs to the dishes and email and dreams of a retired life somewhere nice in Tahiti. The bedtime rite is our parenting hard stop. Nothing happens after the inviolable word Good night is uttered. The kitchen is closed. No drinks are being served. And the time for questions has ended. Having wised up to this parenting iron curtain, our three children often propose a motion that will extend conversation no matter the relevancy of the topic. Some months ago, one of my children asked the question that all clergy fear to hear from anyone whom they know won't be patted off by some sort of flimsy and immaterial answer. What do you actually do for a job, Dad? (laughs) Where I come from, such questions are considered to be unnecessarily impolite. However, my children bear no such east of the Atlantic inhibitions, and rather than look apologetic, my interrogator offered instead a cold hard stare. Thankfully, the question, what do I do for a living, is one I pose to Pat Kiley, my assistant, most every other week. Although her answer, oh honey, you'll find out soon, is far from comforting. Sure that telling my children that I might find out soon what I do for a living would cut absolutely no mustard, I offered this in reply. Well, you know that big armchair in my office? What I do is go and sit there every morning, and people come in. They talk, and I listen. Sometimes I talk, and they listen. And then they leave, and another person comes in, and the same thing happens. The reply was quick and cutting. That's a job, he asked. Yes, son, in the Episcopal Church, that is definitely a job. And with that, I ran for the bedroom door and prayed there'd be no follow-up. Having worked for several years on my feet as a teacher, as well as a few college day stints as a barman, I was actually fired from that job, and a construction site worker, I am grateful for the change of posture my ordained life presents me currently. Yet it's not only the opportunity that my armchair gives me to sit as I work that I welcome. It is that in sitting, I'm able to stay still long enough to listen. It reminds me of a quote by Satchel Page that I read this week, actually shared by one of our block steering committee members that says, It is amazing what you can observe if you look. In the same spirit, It is amazing what you can hear if you listen. Just think for a moment what might have become of the church if its first 
followers of Jesus had not listened. The reading we hear from Acts this morning is easy to get lost in the long arc of the biblical narrative, but this particular part of the story offers a fundamental lesson in the power of listening. At the time of Peter's approach to the apostles in Jerusalem, the world they had known as followers of Jesus was Jewish. Their religious cultural life was Jewish. Jewish identity was how they understood their history and their current place in the world. It was how they looked out with hope to the future, and it was the framework by which they answered life's most pressing and essential questions of meaning and community. This moment, then, when Peter presents to the apostles the possibility that Gentiles, non-Jews, also fall within the divine economy of salvation history, represented a seismic shift, captured in one of the most pivotal lines in the New Testament, which we heard this morning. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. Which is harder, I wonder, to say such a thing or to receive it? It is not an exaggeration to say that at various stages along the journey, these are the decision points that can change the course of history. Just think of one of the 20th century's most remarkable leaders, Nelson Mandela. Having spent a quarter of a century as a political prisoner, upon his release and eventual elevation as the first black African president of South Africa, the country to where our youth pilgrimage will soon go. Mandela faced immense pressure for the decades of white-on-black oppression and black-on-black divides to articulate a vision for the nation where justice would be seen to be done, visited upon the people who had wronged the other for so many long years of suffering and loss. His decision not to do that and his discernment that leadership required him not to choose one people over another. It's perhaps what saved South Africa at the time from civil war and potential socioeconomic collapse. Instead, President Mandela called the country this rainbow nation to a vast and painful season of listening to one another. Through the work of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, South Africans of all sorts told their story to one another, and people stayed in that shared space for authentic community long enough to hear the voice of the other. In the end, it was the listening that was saving. So too for Peter and the earliest church. Just take a brief walk back to the text we heard today. The apostles heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God, and although they had it in their hearts to criticize, to chastise Peter for such a transgression of their boundaries of who was in and who was not, they chose to listen. And so Peter was gifted the opening to share with them how he also had listened to the spirit who had told him to go with the three men from Caesarea, to those who had listened to the angel who had called them to fetch Peter, and the household of Gentiles who had their ears open to hear the message of Peter about Jesus, such that the spirit fell upon them 
listening upon listening upon listening open the way for a new community to be born, what you and I refer to today as the church. See, I am making all things new, says the one in Revelations who is seated on the throne. All things new, for the first things have passed away. No more Jew and Gentile, no more black and white, no more female and male, no more have and have not, no more insider and outsider, no more opportunity to say as followers of Jesus Christ that those are other people, whoever those people happen to be, and they are none of my business. As we celebrate the gift of baptism today, we celebrate that bold vocation that all the baptized share that proclaim that no one is left out in the kingdom of God. No one is not one of me, not one of us. That we are either a body of all, or we are no body at all. And so, because of this challenging and deep-seated vocation that Christ Jesus places upon our lives, we too are called to listen with that deep inner ear of the soul to how God might be calling us out, drawing us further on, inviting us ever deeper into the kingdom of God where no one is left behind and no division or moral injury or pain and failure is too great to be insurmountable. To be a baptized Christian is to proclaim with faith and thanksgiving that nothing is impossible with God. With faith, we can stride boldly forward into the work of building a more beloved community here on and off this block. Just this week, in that armchair of mine, I have had the privilege to hear the call for this church to be a living and sustaining partner in the work of deeply loving, listening, and transformational relationship building that only God can affect. Our brothers and sisters down the road at the Absalom Jones Center for Racial Healing need us to step forward into that work that belongs to God to be agents of love's transformational capacity to build a kingdom of God in the cacophony of earth's cries for hope and justice. Our brothers and sisters down the road at the Church of the Common Ground gathering as they have this weekend with partners from across the nation who also form church, with those who call the streets their home, need for us to step forward and live a life of proximity with the poor and the outcast. Our brothers and sisters just 10 short miles away in Clarkston, it in so many ways light years away from our own lived experiences, need us to have our lives be blessed by them as much as we might be a blessing to them, such that through their stories we can hear our own, and through their lives we might learn how to live more deeply in the way of the one who also began life as a refugee. When we step forward and stay long enough to listen to the life of the other, 
we will know something of the baptized life that calls us all to leave trails of salt and light behind us, even as we seek that salt and light for our own lives and our own hearts. What a gift it is to celebrate baptism this Sunday and to hear again with our ears and minds and hearts open and our lives ready for the service of Christ that our God will shake up the world and widen our vision of what it could mean to follow Jesus through these doors and out into the world God has made and longs to reconcile. It is amazing what you can observe if you look. It is amazing what you can hear if you listen. May you, the baptized, Believe on such things and be of good courage, holding fast to that which is good, rendering to no one evil for evil, honoring everyone, and loving and serving your Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is only the beginning. You are sealed as Christ's own forever. Your Savior calls you forward. Listen and leave a trail of God's light and salt wherever you go.